Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, and the confusion stops here. We've been having some uh, technical issues, which is why I am not going to be on camera for our live YouTube folks today. And uh, got the timing a little off, but putting everything back together. And uh, today, of course, is May the 13th. That is the anniversary of Our Lady's first appearance to the three shepherd children in Sassanville, Portugal, back in 1917. And I'm sure that there are many Catholic podcasts and radio programs will be talking about the apparition of Our Lady of Fatima and making connections between her messages and the consecration of Russia and so-called third secret on the one hand, and then the worldwide crisis occasioned by the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus on the other. I will leave the speculation to my colleagues in the Catholic commentariat. However, we will talk today about one common theme of all the approved Marian apparitions, and that is prayer. You know, with so much attention given to whether or not the Episcopal consecration of Russia has ever been properly performed per Our Lady's instructions, I think we tend to forget that Mary made requests to the Catholic laity as well, including the daily recitation of five decades of the rosary. So knowing that Our Lady asked for our prayers and knowing that proper devotion to the Blessed Virgin always brings us closer to her divine son, later on in the program, we will be examining our Lord's teaching on prayer. What did Jesus say about prayer in the Holy Scriptures? We also have uh, today a Will the Real Vatican II Please Stand Up segment as we look at the rites of Latin in the Latin Rite. What did Vatican II really say about the place of Latin in the liturgical renewal? That is, what role was Latin supposed to play in the new Mass? And was the council followed or ignored? Will the real Vatican II please stand up? But first off, and speaking of prayer, I suspect that like me, during this unprecedented situation in the church and the world, you may be praying for the intercession of the patron of hopeless cases, St. Jude. So uh, I'm going to start off by asking, who is St. Jude, and why is he the patron saint of lost causes, and why is St. Jude depicted on holy cards wearing a medal with an image of the holy face of Jesus? Well, let's start with what we know about St. Jude from the Holy Bible. The Apostle Jude, also known as Jude Thaddeus, was one of the so-called brethren of the Lord. That is to say, he was a cousin of our Lord Jesus. Jude had three brothers, Simon and James, who were also apostles, and Joseph, who was not. And by the way, the James, who is Jude's brother, is the author of the epistle of St. James in the New Testament, and is also known as James the Less, because he was called later. He was called after the other apostle James, who is known as James the Greater. St. Jude's father was St. Cleophas, or Clopas, who became one of the early Christian martyrs. We know St. Jude's mother from sacred scripture. In the Bible, she's referred to as Mary of Clopas, Mary of Cleophas, that is to say Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and also simply as the other Mary. Uh, she is the other Mary who stood at the foot of the cross, distinct from St. Mary Magdalene and the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was also among the holy women who went to anoint the body of our Lord on Easter Sunday, only to find that the tomb was empty. So you can see that St. Jude has quite the family history in the early church. And the Bible says St. Jude asked Jesus at the Last Supper, 
Lord, how is it you show yourself to us and not to the world? You know, many of the Jews of Jesus' day were looking for a worldly, uh, political Messiah who had found an earthly kingdom, and that included some of the apostles, like St. Jude's brother, Simon the Zealot. However, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, St. Jude and his fellow apostles finally understood what Jesus meant when he said that his kingdom was to be in the world, but not of the world. And St. Jude begins his epistles with the words, from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to all who are chosen and loved by God the Father and are kept safe by Jesus Christ. Uh, the letter of St. Jude is considered one of the Catholic epistles in the sense that it, it wasn't written to a certain person or a certain community, but is addressed to the wider church. And it's quite short. It's only one chapter of about 25 verses, but it has a lot to say about the danger of false doctrine and false teachers, and the need for constant vigilance by the church and perseverance by believers. St. Jude admonishes Christians of every age to examine what people uh, say and, and look at the example of the way they live their lives so that we will only approve or promote what is pleasing in the sight of God. And he tells us that we both can and should call upon God to help us with this with the confidence that he's going to hear and answer our prayers. St. Jude and his brother Simon preached the gospel in Arabia. They were martyred for their faith around the year 100. Uh, St. Jude was actually, tradition tells us, he was beaten to death with a club, and then his body was beheaded. I guess they wanted to make sure they got the job done. Uh, his remains were then taken to Rome, and today his relics reside in St. Peter's Basilica, under the main altar of St. Joseph in a tomb that he shares with the remains of his brother, St. Simon. So, you know that St. Jude is invoked as the patron saint of hopeless cases, or the patron saint of lost causes. And you commonly read the Catholics invoke St. Jude in desperate situations because his New Testament letter stresses that the faithful should persevere in difficult circumstances, just like their forefathers had done before them. And therefore, that's why he's a patron saint of desperate causes. Or that the, the many pilgrims who came to Rome over the centuries to visit St. Jude's relics reported his powerful intercession. And that's what led to him having the title of the saint for hopeless causes. But what you may not know is that the origin of St. Jude's title as the patron saint of the impossible is connected to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, 12th century abbot, mystic, and doctor of the church, the mellifluous doctor, one of my uh, very favorite saints and, and personal patrons, St. Bernard had multiple visions of Jesus throughout his lifetime. He was not only a great scripture scholar, he was a mystic. And in one of the visions, Jesus asked him to accept St. Jude as the patron saint of the impossible. And St. Bernard of Clairvaux had a very deep devotion to St. Jude all throughout his life. He venerated his relics when he was in Rome. And, in fact, his devotion was so great that he asked to be buried with a relic of St. Jude as a sign of reverence, and particularly because the apostle had been so powerful in helping him safeguard his purity, which for many of us, especially these days, does seem like a hopeless case. You know, uh, bringing this full circle, you recall that Our Lady of Fatima said that uh, more souls go to hell for sins of the flesh than any other reason. So our Lord 
appeared to St. Bernard in the 12th century, also appeared to St. Bridget, uh, a 14th century mystic, another medieval mystic, a, a wife who was then a, uh, became a nun and, and had many mystical experiences. Our Lord said to St. Bridget that uh, in regard to St. Jude, he said, according with his surname Thaddeus, the amiable or the loving, he will show himself most willing to give help. So it's actually a pair of medieval saints to which we owe our understanding of St. Jude's intercession, which was then communicated to them by our Lord himself. All right, lastly, the other thing I brought up is that you may have noticed, looking at holy card images and so on, that St. Jude is often depicted wearing a large medal with an image of the holy face of Jesus. Now, you know, the details of Christian iconography typically have some specific meaning. I mean, saints holding a lily, that represents the virtue of chastity. You know, different plants and objects and colors all have various meanings. So St. Jude's medallion actually represents the fact that he carried with him an image of our Lord, an image that was called the Mandilion. And back in the Middle Ages, uh, the Mandilion would come to be known as the Shroud of Turin. All right, there's a miracle associated with that famous image. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Also going to look at uh, what our good Lord said about prayer in the Holy Scriptures. And also, will the real Vatican II please stand up regarding the use of Latin in the new Mass? So stay with us, and we'll be back with lots more No-Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and Vulcan Yours is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactor provided with clothing are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help aid to poor families. Also provide aid to poor families. Provide aid to poor families in Ecuador. Aid to poor families in Ecuador. Aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical funeral needs, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we come to understand. According to St. Augustine, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. May God grant us a strong living faith in Him and His divine plan of salvation and help us to believe so that we may understand. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871. 
because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, the internet home of Keep It Simple Catholicism. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, and we were talking in the first segment about St. Jude, the patron of impossible cases. And I mentioned right before the break, you may have noticed that St. Jude is often depicted wearing a large medal with an image of the holy face of Jesus. And actually that it is representative, not that he actually wore a medallion, but it was representative of the fact that he carried an image of our Lord with him, an image that was called the Mandilion, and that in the Middle Ages, the Mandilion came to be known as the Shroud of Turin. Now, of course, there are many miracles associated with this famous image, but now you understand um, why they depict St. Jude with that medal. It's that medallion is really representative of the Mandilion. And the story is that King Abgar of Edessa suffered from leprosy and heard about Jesus and sent a messenger to Jerusalem begging our Lord to come and cure him. Unfortunately, you know, Jesus was busy with his earthly ministry and couldn't go, but he promised to send somebody later. But uh, out of sympathy for Abgar's uh, condition and his faith, our Lord touched to his faith a cloth, a la Veronica's veil, and sent this miraculous image of himself to Agbar, as surety that someone would come and cure him. Now, these details are a matter of pious legend. But the fact is, St. Jude did visit Abgar during his apostolic ministry, and he did heal him of his leprosy. And King Abgar famously had a relic that's called the Mandelion of Edessa, which is a portrait of the face of Jesus. Now, I've seen it personally, and it is wonderful, and it's in a beautiful reliquary. But I don't believe it's a miraculous image. I believe it's a painted image. I, I believe that when St. Jude went to visit King Abgar to cure him and to preach the gospel, that he had the Shroud of Turin with him, and the so-called, which at that time was called the Mandelion. And the so-called Mandelion of Edessa was painted using the Shroud image as a guide. Now, what happened to the Shroud after St. Jude's martyrdom is another tale for another time. But suffice it to say that St. Jude is a powerful patron when all seems lost, and I think especially now in our current uh, very odd reality, and that is no nonsense. Okay, we know that before the Second Vatican Council, the Roman Catholic liturgy was celebrated in Latin and was adorned with the ethereal Gregorian chant. Now, the liberal Catholic might say, well, thank goodness we don't do Latin or Gregorian chant anymore, and that went out with Vatican II. But is that what Vatican II taught? What do the documents actually say? Will the real Vatican II please stand up? Well, the Vatican II document on liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, actually says, particular law remaining in force, the use of the Latin language is to be preserved in the Latin rites. And that's one reason why the official normative version of the Holy Mass in the ordinary form, what's called the typical edition of the Roman Missal, is in Latin. 
Sacrosanctum Concilium also says, the church acknowledges Gregorian chant as especially suited to the Roman liturgy. Therefore, other things being equal, it should be given pride of place in liturgical services. Now, we're not talking about the traditional Latin Mass or the extraordinary form of the Mass. We're talking about the Novus Ordo Mass promulgated by St. Paul VI back in 1970, the Mass that is being celebrated at parishes all over the world. I got a question. When was the last time they celebrated the new Mass at your parish in Latin? Or had a scola leading the congregation in the responses and the proper prayers in Gregorian chant? But that's what Vatican II said. In fact, Sacrosanctum Concilium says, Sacrosanctum Concilium says, sorry, I have rented lips. The document says that for Catholic lay people to be able to actively participate in the Mass, which the Council Fathers said was the most important consideration for any change in the liturgy, for Catholic lay people to be able to actively participate in the Mass, they should be able to make all the responses and recite all the people's parts of the Mass in Latin. Well, how's that working out? You know, uh, obviously there was no serious effort made in that regard. And obviously, this does not mean that the whole Mass should necessarily be in Latin. After all, that was the whole point of the Council Fathers giving an instruction to retain Latin in the Roman Rite, because they were looking specifically to introduce the vernacular into the Holy Mass. So where was the vernacular supposed to be used then? Okay, the vernacular, that's English, Spanish, Italian, Vietnamese, whatever. The common language was meant to be used primarily for the scripture readings and for the proper prayers, or the prayers that change every Sunday, but not at the expense of the Latin language. See, I cannot imagine that any of the council fathers envisioned, say, the Roman canon, uh, Eucharistic prayer number one, we call it now, they, they could, could not have imagined that that would ever be recited in the vernacular at all, much less become, you know, one option amongst several Eucharistic prayers. And likewise, giving Gregorian chant pride of place, that doesn't mean we can't have other types of music at Mass. On the contrary, Sacrosanctum Concilium says, but other kinds of sacred music, especially polyphony, are by no means excluded from liturgical celebrations so long as they accord with the spirit of the liturgical action. Now, polyphony, by the way, is where you have two distinct melodies that are being sung at the same time, as opposed to Gregorian chant that's, that's uh, sung in unison, or, you know, regular hymnody where it's sung in harmony. There's actually two different uh, melodies going at the same time. And, of course, it's absolutely beautiful when it's done well. But the point is that, that other music, and, you know, not campfire sing-alongs, but sacred traditional music, apart from Gregorian chant, uh, Vatican Jew says that's okay, so long as it doesn't take away from or distract from the Mass, and so long as it fits with the character of the liturgy. And again, I, I cannot imagine that any of the Council Fathers either anticipated or, or would have approved of a lot of the music that we are routinely subjected to today. And uh, on that note, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, it's entirely possible to sing the whole Mass. In fact, traditionally, 
that is the way that Mass is intended to be celebrated. Both in the ancient and medieval church, Mass was always sung. In fact, in the ancient and medieval world, that is, the world before movable type and, and modern printing, memorization was a much more important aspect of daily life. Meter and melody and rhyme are powerful mnemonic devices, that is, they are powerful methods to make memorization easier. You know, for example, when I became Catholic, <clears throat> excuse me, I learned a lot of prayers by heart. But I could never seem to memorize the Anima Christi. You know, soul of Christ, sanctify me, body of Christ, save me, blood of Christ, inebriate me, water from the side of Christ, wash me, etc. I just, I couldn't keep it in my head. That's until I discovered John Henry Newman's translation. Soul of Christ, be my sanctification. Body of Christ, be my salvation. Blood of Christ, fill all my veins. Water of Christ's side, wash out my stains. Passion of Christ, my comfort be. O good Jesus, listen to me. In thy wounds I fain would hide, ne'er to be parted from thy side. Guard me should the foe assail me. Guide me when my life shall fail me. Bid me come to thee above with all thy saints to sing thy love, world without end. Amen. See, the rhyming makes it simple. And we even have a, a Pro Multismedia puts out a, a collection of songs, a catechetical songs for children, that puts that to music, which made it even easier to memorize. You know, back in the medieval times in the ancient world, bards and minstrels used to recite uh, the, all these great heroic stories just from memory. Like the Iliad and the Odyssey, the, the stories of King Arthur, they were epic poems. And so the recitation of the Psalms, according to the Gregorian chant, right? Not every medieval monk could have his own Psalter in the days before modern printing, right? He didn't have his own prayer book. And it was the practice of chanting the liturgy that made it possible to learn the Psalms by heart. And after all, the Psalms were songs to begin with. They were sung in the temple. And by the way, that's what St. Augustine is talking about when he said, he who sings well prays twice. He's talking about priests chanting the Mass and religious chanting the Divine Office, not singing along with the choir. And also, for your information, that is how you can tell a High Mass from a Low Mass in the extraordinary form, the traditional Latin Mass. You know, Low Mass is just the priest and the altar boys, and it's recited. But a high mass, it can be done several ways. It might just be mass celebrated by a single priest and the acolytes. It might be a solemn high mass with a priest and a deacon and a subdeacon. Or it might be a pontifical high mass celebrated by a bishop with other ministers and a, and a small army of altar servers, all of which you know, are governed by their own specific rubrics. But what every high mass has in common is that every high mass is a misa cantata, that is, high mass is always a sung mass. Now, I know some Novus Ordo priests that like to sing some parts of the mass, and you're familiar with it. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts, right? To him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, etc. You're familiar with this. But how many times have you assisted at an English mass where everything was sung, every word, all the prayers, all the responses, the epistle, the gospel, the whole shebang. I dare say that it is likely 
that you have never assisted at a vernacular mass that was truly a sung mass. But it can be done. In fact, I recall some years ago, I was speaking at a conference at a Dominican university in Ohio, and they had a private mass for the presenters. You know, they had the big liturgy for everybody, but they had us doing other stuff, so they had a, a private mass later that day. And one of the visiting priests celebrated it for us, just a regular daily mass, Novus Ordo mass. But he explained to us that we were going to have a sung mass, that he would be singing the prayers and the readings, and we were to sing all the responses. But it was all to be done in monotone. That is to say, every word of the mass, priests and people, was sung, but all in a single note. I can tell you, it was powerful. No choir, no musicians, no cantor, or even lectors, just the celebrating priest and the congregation. But I tell you that singing that mass elevated our celebration, brought us right out of the ordinary world and into the sacred. And this was even before the corrected English translation. And, and all with one note. The Lord be with you. And also with you, we sang like it was back then. Let us call to mind our sins. I confess to Almighty God, you, my brothers and sisters, etc. So simple, so beautiful, but so out of the ordinary, which Mass should be. Okay, I hear the music. That means we're coming to a break. We'll be back with more, including what a uh, little more on this and what our Lord had to say about prayer when we return with more no-nonsense Catholic, the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need covenant eyes to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code, the NPR, to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the imminent threats on the Internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code VMPR live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877 877- 
543-3871 because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right, welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Talking about singing the Mass and using Latin within the celebration of the Novus Ordo Mass, the Vernacular Mass. Both of these things are things that can make the regular day-to-day celebration of the Mass more reverent and more dignified. Because using Latin in the Mass, singing the Mass is out of the ordinary. And it requires your attention to participate at that level. Even though, I mean, if you're singing the Mass, just monotone, the way I, I was describing the way that priest did it at the Dominican University, it, it requires attention, even though it does not require any special preparation. It doesn't require any, any training just to sing on that one note. And that's something that I hope uh, priests will be encouraged to embrace in the days and the years to come because it really gives great benefits, but it costs nothing. It doesn't require any special permission or any of that. Every priest in the Roman Rite is entitled to pray in Latin during the Mass, even if it's just the Sanctus or the Agnus Dei, and every priest of the Roman Rite is entitled to sing the Mass. He has the right to do the right the right way. <laughs> That's no nonsense. All right, now, as promised, going to spend uh, the rest of the program talking about prayer, and specifically, our Lord's teaching on prayer. As, as Catholics, you and I believe that Jesus will come again in glory with his angels to judge every person who ever lived, and that he will reward each person according to their works, that is, according to the way they lived on earth. But we also understand that we need God's grace to live a good life and save our soul. We especially need grace in order to obey the Father's will each and every day of our lives, just the way Jesus did. But the question is, how do you find the grace to serve God faithfully in this world so that you may receive that eternal reward in heaven? And I think this question is even more urgent in a time when so many Catholics have no access to the sacraments. But what did our Lord say? Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive, and those who seek will find, and to those who knock, the door will be opened. God gave us the first three of the Ten Commandments to, to remind us that we must love him and worship him if we want to receive a reward in heaven. The Catholic Church teaches we must know, love, and serve God in this life in order to be happy with him forever in the next. This requires not just prayer, but daily prayer. So what is it? Classic definition, prayer is lifting the heart and mind to God, as St. John Damascene. Prayer is the way that we talk with God, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The English word pray literally means to ask. 
And so we can use the initials of the word ask, A-S-K, to help us remember what Jesus said about prayer. <clears throat> Pardon me. A-S-K stands for ask, seek, knock. But we don't pray um, only to ask God for favors. Jesus teaches us that we must pray because God is our creator and we owe him worship. And we pray also to thank God for his blessings and to ask pardon for our sins. These are the four great ends of prayer. And they can be remembered by another set of initials. The word acts, that's A-C-T-S. And it stands for adoration, or worship, contrition, which is sorrow for our sins, thanksgiving, yes, giving thanks to God, and supplication, which is asking for our needs. The four great ends of prayer. And you should remember that when you pray, you are doing what Jesus did. You are following Jesus by doing what he did so often while he was on the earth. And not only that, you're following Jesus by doing what he is doing right now in heaven. For he's always praying, always praying, always interceding for us, praying to the Father in the Spirit as our eternal high priest and redeemer. St. Paul says in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he was always able to save those who approach God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. God wants to give us his graces even more than we want to receive them. But if we do not pray daily, we will not receive many graces and blessings that God wants to give us in answer to our prayers. You have to keep in mind that prayer is a dialogue. That was a favorite saying of Servant of God, Fulton Sheen. It's the second point of St. John Paul II's seven-point pastoral plan for the church in the third millennium. Prayer as a conversation with God. And God's part of the conversation may come in different ways, just as our prayer does. You know, you, you have your private prayer time, where you, maybe you're just praying from your heart, or you're praying the the liturgy of the hours, you're praying the rosary, or you're praying at Mass. And God's response takes different forms as well. You know, uh, St. Augustine said that we talk to God when we pray, and he answers when we read the Holy Scripture. And that's one way. And he, and he speaks to us through other people, through the circumstances of our lives. And so when you pray, you have to make sure to take time to listen and to look for God's response. And remember the words of the prophet Samuel, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And it's also well to remember, I think, that Jesus taught that God always hears our prayers, but he does not always answer in the way that we desire, but in the way that's best for us, because he knows better than we do what we need most and what will help save our souls. So Jesus taught us how to pray with love and trust in the words of the Our Father. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one of the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he responds with the Our Father, also known as the Lord's Prayer. It's in Luke 11, 1 through 4. It's also in Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13, which is the version that we actually uh, most often pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Our Father is one of the most important Catholic prayers and holds a prominent place in the Holy Mass, the Liturgy of the Hours, and, of course, the Most Holy Rosary, uh, which, you know, bringing that back to the, the fact that it's May 13th, that was the thing that Our Lady of Fatima asked, one of the things that she asked the Catholic lady to pray the Rosary every day. So the first part um, of the Our Father is about God and his kingdom and his care for us. And the second part is about us and our needs. And it's by way of the Our Father that Jesus, Jesus showed us what we can and should ask of God to help us in body and soul. And in that way, I mean, many of the saints and mystics have said, it is the perfect prayer. So I just want to unpack that in, in our remaining time together here, uh, beginning with the uh, introduction, which is not a, a, a petition, but, uh, but a calling upon God as our Father, our Father who art in heaven. It was Jesus who taught us to call God by the name of Father. It's a comforting, a consoling way to refer to God. We know that Jesus uh, called God not just Father, but he used the familiar term Abba. It was like, like Daddy or Papa, showing that relationship, that we can have a loving relationship with God. Catholic Christians are, are all of us brothers and sisters of Christ because at baptism, the Holy Spirit makes us the adopted children of God the Father. So his Father is really our Father. And we say our Father who art in heaven. Of course, we know God is everywhere. But his throne is in heaven. And only the angels and saints see him as he is. And by calling God our Father, we ask him to grant us this childlike love and trust in him. And that one day that we too will see him face to face in heaven. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The next the petition is, hallowed be thy name. And it is a petition, a petition of praise, where we ask that God's name would be blessed, honored, and glorified. You know, on the night before he died to save the world, our Lord Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. This is John 12, 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. See, the Heavenly Father glorified his name when he created the world, when he created angels and men. He glorified it again when he redeemed the human race through the death and resurrection of God the Son. So we praise God. Uh, we praise God the Father. We ask that his name be honored by all people. And we also ask for ourselves the grace to honor his name all our lives by doing everything for the love of him. And then the next petition is, thy kingdom come. In this, we pray that God will be known and loved and served on earth. Thy kingdom will come. We're praying for the meaning and purpose of life. Because his kingdom comes when uh, through sanctifying grace, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lives in more and more souls as in a temple. Right? Like St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is the way the church spreads because the Lord Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, 21. 
And in this way, you know, we pray for the spread of his kingdom on earth, which is the Catholic Church. You know, I, I think it was, it was Albert Schweitzer said that Jesus promised the kingdom, but all we got was the church. It's like, no, no. The Catholic Church, that's our participation in, in the heavenly kingdom, in the here and now. And the kingdom comes when more and more souls enter the Catholic Church. Okay, more on the Our Father when we come back. Great to have you with us on this anniversary of the first apparition of Fatima. Back with more no-nonsense Catholic and a lot more when we return the Virgin Most Powerful Radio right after this. Stay with us. We got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest. I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, you know, (laughs) you know, yeah, that's right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this. I just want to call all the people, you know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta, we have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old five kids and i thank you guys but everybody else man get on fire fight for the truth man i know what i'm telling you guys there's i love it out there This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And the confusion stops here. Talking about the Lord's Prayer. And we have just reached the petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we honor God when we do his will. 
And in this petition, we're asking our Heavenly Father for the grace to do his will on earth, where the angels and saints do it in heaven. As St. Paul tells us, it is the will of God that you should lead a life of sanctity. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. So we do God's will by obeying the Ten Commandments, by following the precepts of the church, and by accepting everything that happens to us as coming from the hand of a loving father. Because, you know, even in in the situation as dire as the one we find ourselves in right now, we know that God loves us. We know that he knows what's best for us. And we know that nothing happens unless he allows it. So we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next is give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray because God is a loving father who wants his children to be happy in this world and, and happy with him forever in the next. Jesus said in John sixteen twenty three, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Whether well, that's Matthew 6, 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then in John 16, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. So we ask for all the things we need for life here on earth, and food and clothing and work to do, and please God, good health and true happiness. But when we pray for our daily bread, we're also asking for the, the super substantial bread of the Holy Eucharist, the way Jesus taught in the synagogue at Capernaum. And if you look at the old Dewey Rings translation of Matthew 6, verse 11, it actually says, give us this day our super substantial bread. And I can tell you that the, the Greek will you know, uh, um, admit of that translation. That's the way St. Jerome translated it for, super substantial, right? The, the, that's, it's greater than, than, you know, its substance is greater than its appearance, than its accidents, right? Talking about the Holy Eucharist. In John 6, the Lord says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. So this petition, give us this day our daily bread, is fulfilled in the Holy Mass. And even though you and I probably didn't make it to Mass today, that petition was fulfilled all around the world, every day around the clock and around the globe, Mass is still being celebrated. Christ is coming down on the altar and giving us our daily bread. Uh, Next is forgive us our trespasses. Sin is the greatest evil in the world because sin offends our Heavenly Father, who is the greatest and highest good. So committing a serious sin is a failure of our love for him. Committing a serious sin turns us away from doing his will. But we know that God is merciful and will always pardon us if we are truly sorry. 1 John 9.1 says, if we acknowledge our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. Especially in this time when, when so many of us are unable to take advantage of the sacrament of confession. We need to make that perfect act of contrition. Be sorry for our sins simply because they offend God. 
And then also, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, we're, we're actually saying, I, we're asking God to forgive us the way that we forgive others. So that you know how important forgiveness is. Right? In the sacrament of penance, Jesus comes to forgive our sins and to bring us peace with our Heavenly Father and with the church, which is wounded by our sins. And in return, he expects us to forgive each other. On the Holy Cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So following Jesus and following our Lord, who forgave even those who put him to death, we're asking God's help to forgive those who offended against us. Next, and lead us not into temptation. We know that after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And his 40 days of prayer and fasting gave him the strength to overcome the devil who tempted him to go against his father's will. And so we pray that God will likewise give us strength to overcome the world and the flesh and the devil when they tempt us to sin. And we can trust that God will help us to avoid the persons and places and things that lead us into sin. Because St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, God is faithful and will not let you be tried beyond your strength. But with the trial, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. And then finally, we ask, deliver us from evil. Here we pray that our Heavenly Father will protect us from everything, everything that may be harmful, illness, accidents, sudden poverty, and so on. And we listen to the counsel of St. Peter, from, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. And we trust in the promise of Scripture, for he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. Most of all, we pray that he will protect us from sin, which is, once again, the greatest evil in the world, and give us the grace to resist temptation in the future. Prayer is so important, and this prayer is so important, being as it is part of the rosary and the mass and the liturgy of the hours. And I just to close up, I wanted to say that it's important as a Catholic, it's so important that you pray that you should have a rule of life. You should have um, practices that you practice every single day to help you on that spiritual journey. Because if you put it off and put it off, you wind up not doing it at all. It's like anything else in life. So I don't, and this is not too much to ask, and it's not biting off more than you can chew. And I'm just going to run over this real quick uh, in the last moments here. Number one, start your day with prayer. Morning offering. Uh, and whether or not it's accompanied by some common prayers, you might say the Angelus. Um, I, I say my own morning offering and, and some private prayers, and then I pray the uh, morning office of the Liturgy of the Hours. Okay? But whatever it is, be certain never to neglect morning prayer. And count it as a special blessing if you're able to go to Holy Mass as well, even if it's only on certain days. I mean, that's, I think that many of us are recognizing now how much we've taken that for granted now that we're no longer, you know, it's no longer possible for us to go to Mass every day. Number two, when you're making that morning offering, it's called a morning offering because you offer all your work and all your duties to God. And that's how you transform your industry into a service for our Lord and King and, and make what you do, 
be for his greater honor and glory. Right? You, you have to include that intention to gain all the indulgences, indulgences attached to the prayers that you say, the good work you now perform today. And from time to time, you know, use some ejaculatory prayers. Turn your, your mind to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Okay? Keep that renewing that offering throughout the day. Number three, you need to practice a daily regimen of prayer. We're going to talk about that next week. A daily regimen of prayer. How can you um, really embrace a rule of life uh, for your prayer life uh, every single day? Because there's, there's some easy, no-nonsense ways to approach it. Number four is to think about your recreation. Um, no less a, a figure than St. Thomas Aquinas said, it is requisite for the relaxation of the mind that we make use from time to time of playful deeds and jokes, right? And if that's true of Thomas Aquinas, it's true of you and me. So recreation, though, should be wholesome and pleasing to God. Even Thomas Aquinas says that some recreation is good and even necessary. But it goes without saying that as a Catholic, you should avoid anything that you can't offer to God and wholeheartedly. Number five is to practice Christian charity in your association with other people. And the the number way to do that, number one way to do that, guard against improper speech. Guard against any and all improper speech. Be courteous. Be kind to everybody. But, you know, I mean, this is um, really something that's emphasized in the imitation of Christ. You want to avoid over-familiarity. And be careful who you get close to. Be, her- be careful with whom you place your confidence and your trust. And, of course, practice the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Corporal works of mercy kind of a challenge right now. But uh, like we talked about last week, the spiritual works of mercy are always available to us. You can always pray for the living and the dead. You can, you can, there are various means uh, of communication wherein, or whereby you can counsel the doubtful or instruct the ignorant. You can certainly forgive, and you can bear wrongs patiently. Right? All of those things are available to us, even in the current situation. And finally, it's, when, you're, when you're irritated, when you're distressed, when people cross you or things don't go your way, you need to be patient and be resigned to God's will. Like you say, nothing happens he doesn't either will or allow. So you remember that proverb, the patient man, is better than the valiant. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh cities. And most especially contemplate our Lord's suffering for us. And do your best to follow his example of patience, humility, and forgiveness. That is the imitation of Christ. That is the heart of your rule of life. That is the way of Christian perfection. And that is no nonsense. All right, so great to have you uh, with us this time. So wonderful uh, for me, uh, such an honor to be able to be with you. Look forward to doing it again next week. Also, let me know that uh, that next week, uh, please, God, uh, all of our um, technical difficulties get cleared up. And next week, next um, Thursday at noon, I'm going to be starting a new program with Father Chris Alar called Understanding Divine Mercy. Father Aylar, one of the wonderful Divine Mercy priests, with his brother priest, Father Calloway, Father Gately, uh, and the rest. And um, he will be joining me each week, or perhaps I should say I'll be joining him. And we'll also have some of the brother priests and the others there at, the, at their center to be able to speak with us about 
Mary about divine mercy and about going to heaven, which is the meaning and purpose of life. Until then, thank you so much for listening. God richly bless you and your family. Until next time. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were opened to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church. So I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.